Thank you, Dusty, for reading our scripture tonight, and thank you for being here. We're grateful that you're here this evening, and we hope and pray that our service tonight is beneficial to you. We're very thankful for the opportunity to be back again today. It's been a beautiful day. We're grateful for the sunshine, and hopefully and prayerfully it will last for a day or two. But we're very grateful that you are here this evening. We are going to be looking at 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, and this is a continuation of our study last week. We are talking about saints that made a difference. And in this lesson, hopefully and prayerfully, what we can learn from this is that as Christians today, that we too can make a difference in the lives of people. Somebody said on one occasion, no man is an island unto himself. God's desire is that we would be salt and light in this world. God wants us to make a difference in the lives of people. And you go back and you look at the early church. And as you note very specifically in the book of Acts, the birth of the church, and then the infancy and rapid growth of the church, it's quite amazing. And the reason the church grew at such a rapid rate, I'm convinced, is because it was comprised of people that wanted to make a difference. They believed very strongly in the Lord Jesus Christ. They were convicted that He was indeed the Lord. And so in light of that, they wanted to share that great message that they had embraced. And so tonight as we think about what Paul has written to the church at Thessalonica, I want to begin just very quickly by talking about their embrace of the Lord. And we touched on this a little bit last week, but by way of reminding all of us their embrace of the Lord. If you go back and look at Acts chapter 17, which provides us with a background to the establishment of the church in Thessalonica, you'll find that their conversion to the Lord was a result of number one, the preaching of the gospel, and number two, the power of the gospel. You recall the Apostle Paul and Silas, they had made their way from Philippi down to Thessalonica, a distance of a little less than 100 miles. And so when they arrived there, the text says that they went to a synagogue of the, of the Jews and for three Sabbaths, Paul reasoned with those people about the Christ. And he reasoned with them out of the Scriptures. And going back to Acts chapter 17... And you think about the numbers of folks that became obedient to the faith on this occasion. Luke tells us that some of them were persuaded, that is the Jews. A great multitude of the Greeks, and then he goes on to say, and not a few of the leading women. So great things happened, and the great things that occurred in Thessalonica were a result of the preaching of the gospel. I mentioned just a moment ago the birth of the church and the infancy of the church, and then the rapid growth if you just begin reading in the book of Acts, and I would encourage you sometime to take maybe a notebook and a pen and sit down and go through the conversion stories of the book of Acts and note, if you would, the tremendous numbers of people that were obeying the gospel. And the reason was because the early church, they believed they had a message that needed to be shared. A good example of that would be found in Acts chapter 8. You remember a great persecution had swept the early church. And Luke tells us that the disciples were scattered abroad with the exception of the apostles. And those who were scattered abroad went everywhere preaching the word. 
In verse 5, the Bible tells us that Philip went down to the city of Samaria and preached Christ. As a result of his preaching and teaching, and we talk about the preaching of the gospel and the power of the gospel. Verse 12 is a reflection of the power of the gospel. Because the Bible says, when they believed Philip, preaching the things concerning the kingdom of God, the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, they were baptized, both men and women. And you could duplicate that scenario time and again from reading the book of Acts. And so these people in the first century, they were the result, their obedience to the gospel was a result of preaching and teaching. And then I think about the power of the gospel. Do you believe in the power of the gospel? Do you believe that the gospel message today is as powerful as it was in the first century? Do you remember the words of Paul when he wrote to the saints in Rome? He said, I'm not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God unto salvation. Note if you would, he said, it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. And then I think about the Hebrew writer in Hebrews chapter 4. He said, the word of God is living and active. It's not a dead letter, is it? But rather, this book that we call Scripture, the writer said, it is living and active and sharper than any two-edged sword. When God's word is proclaimed, God's power is realized, isn't it? Do you remember on Pentecost Day, the text tells us that they were all assembled in the city of Jerusalem. They were there for Pentecost. Peter and the other apostles preached the gospel. And Peter, on that occasion, his lesson is recorded for us. And pre Peter preached the death and resurrection of the Christ. And the Bible says, when they heard this, they were pricked or cut to the heart. They were cut to the heart because of the message they heard. As a result of that teaching, you know what they said? What shall we do? The message was a catalyst for action, wasn't it? And so I think about their conversion to the Lord as we emphasize their embrace of the Lord, first their conversion and then their consecration to the Lord. A couple of things stand out as you look at the text. These folks were consecrated to the Lord. Their lives were committed to the Lord Jesus Christ and to His cause. Note if you would, Paul and Silas and Timothy as they address the church of the Thessalonians in God the Father, the Lord Jesus Christ. In verse 2, Paul said, We give thanks to God always for you all making mention of you in, your, in our prayers. In verse 3, he said, remembering without ceasing your work of faith. And then he said, your labor of love and patience of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. I would underscore that, that phrase, labor of love. I said these people were consecrated to the Lord. What they did on behalf of the Lord was a labor of love, wasn't it? When you love the Lord, it becomes a labor of love, doesn't it? You know, you think about the scriptures. The Bible talks about how we've been saved to serve, and we've discussed that on numerous occasions. We are to have a working faith, an operative faith. And so these people had a faith that was constantly in action because they were laboring for the love that they, on behalf of the love of their love for the Lord. In Hebrews chapter 6, verse 10, the writer talks about those who engaged in that same labor of love. So their consecration summed up in their labor of love and then 
These people were looking for the Lord. Drop down and note again, if you would, in verse 10, he said, in verse 9, he talked about how they had turned to God from idols to serve the living and true God. In verse 10, he said, to wait for his son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, even Jesus who delivers us from the wrath to come. How often do you think about the second coming of Christ? Do you give much thought to it? You know, we read about the second coming often in the New Testament. And there are times when we hear lessons on the second coming of Christ. There are even times when people will pray and invoke the words of the apostle when he said, come, Lord Jesus, come. Did you know that the Lord will one day come? I mean, there may be some people that think about the second coming of Christ as nothing more than folklore, as a fable, as fiction, but not these people. No, the Bible says they were looking for the Lord from heaven. Over in chapter 4, they were concerned about their loved ones that had died in Christ. And Paul sought to really instruct and to inform them about the state of those who had died in Christ. And really, the assurance was they're safe in Christ. And when the Lord Jesus comes, they'll come with him. And that's great words of encouragement to us. But then you make that transition into chapter 5. And Paul said, concerning the days and seasons, you have no need that I write unto you. For you yourselves know perfectly that the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night. I'm convinced that the people in Thessalonica thought a great deal about the second coming of Christ. They believed that the Lord Jesus would come. Many of those people may have believed that he would come in their lifetime. Now, he could have. But he didn't. He could come in our lifetime. He might. He might not. We don't know, do we? And Paul said that he would come as a thief in the night. That's what Peter said in 2 Peter chapter 3. The day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night. When do thieves come? When people least, least expect it. And so the Lord Jesus will come. Now Jesus himself said, But of that day and hour knoweth no man, not the angels of heaven, but my Father only. If the Lord Jesus were to come, In our lifetime, be an amazing thing, wouldn't it? I'm confident that if the Lord comes and we've been in the grave for centuries, we'll still hear the voice of the archangel. We'll hear the trumpet of God. And as Paul said, the dead in Christ shall rise first. Jesus in John chapter 5 talked about how the hour's coming when all that are in the graves will hear his voice and come forth. Those that have done good to the resurrection of life, those that have done evil to the resurrection of condemnation. So we talk about their embrace of the Lord, but there's a second thing I want you to note. And that is their evangelism for the Lord. These people were interested in the lives of people. They were interested in souls. And I want to begin by, first of all, talking about how they were examples of the Lord. And then let's think for just a moment or two about their evangelism for the Lord. Note, if you would, beginning in verse 5, Paul said, Our gospel did not come to you in word only, but also in power, in the Holy Spirit, and in much assurance, as you know, what kind of men we were among you for your sake. 
And he said, you became followers of us and of the Lord, having received the word in much affliction with joy of the Holy Spirit. Now, verse 7, so that you became examples to all in Macedonia and Achaia who believe. Macedonia, I said just a minute ago that when Paul and Silas left Philippi, they made their way over to Thessalonica, a distance of about, well, probably a little less than 100 miles. Macedonia to the north was comprised of Amphipolis, Apollonia, and Berea. And you remember they left Thessalonica and went to Berea. To the south, we have Achaia. And in that area, you had Corinth and Greece. So Paul here is talking about how these people had become tremendous examples for the Lord. Their imitation of the Lord. What about you? Does your life exemplify the virtues of New Testament Christianity? I mentioned a moment ago that we're to be salt and light in this world. When Paul wrote to Timothy in 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 12, he said, Let no one despise your youth, but be an example of the believers in word, in conduct, in love, in spirit, in faith, in purity. Paul there reminding Timothy that he was to be an example to others around him. Paul, when he wrote to the church at Corinth, would say, Be followers of me even as I also am of Christ. I think about the words of Peter in 1 Peter chapter 2 when Peter said that Christ left us an example. And then he said that we should follow in his steps. Are you following in the footsteps of Jesus? Now you talk about big shoes to fill. I don't think they make those shoes anymore. But we're to follow in his footsteps, aren't we? We are to imitate his life. And so I think about how they were imitators of the Lord, but then also note, if you would, their influence for the Lord. Again, verse 8, or look at verse 8. In verse 7, Paul had said, You became examples to all in Macedonia and Achaia who believe. For from you the word of the Lord is sounded forth, and not only in Macedonia and Achaia, but also in every place your faith toward God has gone out, so that we do not need to say anything. Now you talk about some people that were influential for the cause of Christ. When I look at the life of Paul, and Paul is just one example among many in, in, in Scripture, but the influence that he exerted in the hearts and lives of people. You ever wondered how many lives he touched? I mean, think about that. Think about the countless numbers of people that Paul influenced for good. This morning in our Bible class, we were talking about the late Marshall Keeble. Some of you here today may have had the opportunity to have heard Brother Keeble. He died in 1968. Brother Keeble, at the time of his death, was, I think, up in his late 80s. Brother Keeble was a tremendous preacher and teacher. And you can, there, there are a couple of books that have been written about his life's work, really interesting books. 
Brother Keeble was funded by A.M. Burton. Brother Burton invested in Brother Keeble because there are two parts to the Great Commission. There's the going and the sending. And so Brother Burton realized that Marshall Keeble, he realized that Marshall Keeble had tremendous ability. And so for the better part of 30 years, he supported him in his preaching and teaching endeavors. It is estimated that Marshall Keeble baptized somewhere around 40 to 50,000 people. It's incredible. And then, in addition to that, helped to establish about 325 congregations worldwide. Now you think about that kind of influence. And Paul is writing to saints in Thessalonica and he's talking about not just their imitation of the Lord, but their tremendous influence for the cause of Christ. And so, as you think about your own life, who are you influencing for good? I would hope that all of us are examples to others. When people see us, they see as Paul said, Christ living in us. And I would hope and pray that when they see our lives and they see what we have, their first thought is, what you have, I want. Don't you think that was the spirit in the first century? And so, I think about the tremendous example of the Thessalonians. But then consider, if you would, their evangelistic spirit. And I want, to, I want to just go back for a minute and talk about Acts chapter 17. Matter of fact, go back with me for just a moment and look at Acts 17. I mentioned a moment ago that Paul and Silas, they make their way to Thessalonica. They found a synagogue of the Jews, and Paul, as his custom was, verse 2, went into them and for three Sabbaths reasoned with them from the Scriptures explaining and demonstrating that Christ had to suffer and rise again from the dead and saying, this Jesus whom I preach to you is the Christ. And then verse 4, some of them were persuaded. A great multitude of the devout Greeks and not a few of the leading women joined Paul and Silas. Now let me just pause there. Why do you think Paul and Silas, why do you think they went to Thessalonica? Now we talked last week about the Macedonian call, in which there was a man saying to Paul, come over and help us, and Paul responded favorably to that. But wouldn't you say that the underlying cause for Paul and Silas going to Thessalonica, they were interested in people, weren't they? I mean, weren't they interested in the souls of people? If you go back and you look at the early church and you look at the apostles and disciples, that lived in the first century. They manifested a lot of tremendous traits, but one of the things that stands out to me is they were interested in the souls of people. They understood that every single person had housed within them an eternal soul. Do you think sometimes we miss that in the world in which we live today? Is it possible that we see a face, but we really don't think about the human soul? The fact that there is a soul and that soul will live forever one day somewhere. Paul and Silas and the other disciples in the first century, they were interested in souls. I mentioned a moment ago Ian Burton, and I believe, Brother Burton, I, I believe he was interested in souls. That's why he supported Marshall Keeble. 
And so they were interested, but then think about their investment in the souls of people. Wherever Paul went, just, just about city to city to city, what, what did he face? Did, did they just roll the welcome mat out and say, man, we're glad you're here, Paul. Welcome to our city. We want you to stay here and enjoy your time here. Man, Paul was run, he was run out of this city and that city. When Paul wrote to, the, to Timothy in his second letter in about AD 68, he talked about the persecutions and afflictions that he had faced at Antioch, Iconium, and Lystra. He said, what persecutions I endured, but the Lord delivered me out of them all. Note, if you would, what is said down in verse 5. The Jews who were not persuaded, becoming envious, took some of the evil men from the marketplace, gathering, and then gathering a mob, set all the city in an uproar, and attacked the house of Jason, and sought to bring them out to the people. But when they did not find them, they dragged Jason and some brethren to the rulers of the city, crying out, These who have turned the world upside down have come here too. Let me just pause there. Do you really think Paul and Silas and the other apostles and disciples in the first century, do you think they would have been willing to suffer for the cause of Christ had they not been interested in the souls of people? And would you not say that they were more than willing, they were glad to invest in the lives of people? If we're going to convert people to Christ, if we're going to make a difference in this city or in the Mid-South area or wherever it is we, we find ourselves in this world, two things, are going to, two things are going to have to happen in our lives. Number one, we're going, to have to, we're going to have to be interested in people. And secondly, we're going to have to invest in people. It's going to cost us time. It's going to cost us, it might cost us some money. But if we, if we truly care about people, we'll demonstrate our interest in them and we will invest in them. I mean, go back and look at Timothy. Timothy was a tremendous companion to Paul, wasn't he? As a matter of fact, Paul, in writing to Timothy in his first letter, he said that he was his own son in the faith. And so here is Timothy, someone that Paul has mentored and tutored and schooled and tried to make a difference. He, he did make a difference in his life. But you look at the life of Timothy and you think about, okay, prior to his association with Paul, were there not forces at work that demonstrated interest in him and did they not invest in him? The answer is yes. Do you know who that was? His grandmother and his mother. His grandmother Lois and his mother Eunice. They had, as, as Paul said in 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 15, taught him the Scriptures. Because Paul said, and that from a baby, you have known the Holy Scriptures, which are able to make you wise unto salvation. Now, to those of you who are parents or grandparents, you think about making a difference in the lives of people. When you make a difference in the lives of your children, you're investing in them, aren't you? I mean, aren't you proud to see your children obey the gospel and then continue to grow in Christ and demonstrate an example that is Christ-like? So, Paul knew something about investing in people. 
And if we're going to capture the world for Christ, we've got to invest in people. And note, if you would, what was said about these men. These who have turned the world upside down have come here too. Don't you think it's time for us to turn the world upside down? I mean, don't you think, don't you think our world needs changing today? Are you convinced that we need, we need, to, that we need changes in this part of the world in which we live? I would, I would say absolutely. Would you say that we need changes in our state? Yes. Would you say we need changes in America? Yes. So how are we going to do that? We're going to do it just like Paul and Silas did. Just like Paul and Silas and Timothy and Peter and John and other apostles. What did they do? They were willing to turn the world upside down. By what? By preaching and teaching. That's what we got to do today. The charge is the same, isn't it? Go therefore make disciples of what? Of all the nations. Baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Our country tonight, as it stands, is in need of a healthy dose of righteousness. Solomon said, righteousness exalts a nation. Sin is a reproach unto any people. Righteousness elevates a nation, does it not? What does sin do? If righteousness elevates a nation, then sin will bring it down. And so here were Paul and Silas and Timothy, and what were they doing? They were willing to turn the world upside down. We need to do the same thing, don't we? All right, go back again very quickly and look at 1 Thessalonians. They were evangelistic in the Lord. And why was that? Because of their willingness to share the gospel. And look, when we share the gospel the byproduct of that is the spreading of the gospel. Listen again to what Paul said. He said, You became examples to all in Macedonia and Achaia who believe. For from you the word of the Lord is sounded forth. That word sounded there means to sound forth like a trumpet, to thunder. And so you think about, here's Paul, and he's saying God's word has sounded forth. Wouldn't it be great if in the Mid-South area that could be said about us? That we were thundering the word of God out? That we were sounding out the word of the Lord like a trumpet? And he said, not only in Macedonia and Achaia, but also in every place your faith toward God has gone out. And then, I think this is really interesting. He said, so that we do not need to say anything. Wouldn't it be great if you started talking to people about Christ and they said, you know what, I already heard about him. Wouldn't it be great if we shared the message to the extent that everyone, everyone in this community knew about New Testament Christianity. They knew something about the Lord. And then in verse 9 he said, For they themselves declare concerning us what manner of entry we had to you, and how you turned to God from idols to serve the living and true God. When we, when we give our lives to the Lord and consecrate ourselves to His service, then we make a difference in the lives of people, don't we? I mentioned a moment ago in closing, I mentioned a moment ago that Paul was interested in people, and he invested in people. And that's reflected in this book. Over in chapter 3, 
Paul is concerned about the state of the Thessalonians. He didn't just baptize them and then walk away from them. He was concerned about them. So in writing to them, Paul could say, we, he said, for now we live if you stand fast in the Lord. Paul's desire for these people was that they be saved, but then that they stay saved. That's the goal, isn't it? So tonight in closing, I want to say, I want to just say this very quickly. You can make a difference. I'm convinced that that many of you are making a difference. You're making a difference in your home. You're making a difference at school. You're making a difference on the job. You're making a difference in your neighborhood. Look, you're making a difference right here in this congregation. God's design is that we as His people make a difference. The church in the first century Boy, they made a great difference in the lives of people. And wouldn't it be great if one day when we stand before God, wouldn't it be great if we look out among that great sea of people and see people that we actually had an influence on and wouldn't it even be greater if we see people who are in heaven because of our influence? That's what Paul said. Let me just close by reading 1 Thessalonians chapter 2. Paul endeavored earnestly to see these folks. In verse 18 he said, Therefore we wanted to come to you, even I, Paul, time and again, but Satan hindered us. And then verse 19, What is our hope or joy or crown of rejoicing? Is it not even you in the presence of our Lord Jesus Christ that is coming? He said, For you are our glory and joy. There will be people in heaven because you made a difference in their lives. Please do not underestimate your influence and your example. We all want to go to heaven, don't we? But what will really make it sweet is if there are others who are in heaven because of us. Pray with me. Our Father, we're grateful for all the many blessings that we enjoy each and every day. We ask that you would bless us with the wisdom to make a difference in this world. Help us to be an example and an influence for good wherever we are. And Father, we pray that you would bless the church here, bless our leaders, bless every family. We pray, Father, for our mothers, our fathers. We're so thankful for their influence and we're thankful for their children and we're grateful for the seeds that are being sown in their lives. And Father, we ask that you continue to bless us in your service. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. If you're here tonight and you're not a Christian, we encourage you to come to Christ. What would you need to do? Well, do what they did on Pentecost Day. Repent, be baptized. For the remission of your sins, the Bible tells us that God will add you to the church. Acts 2, verse 38, verse 47. Once you're in the church, you can make a difference in the lives of people. And as James said, blessed is the man that endures temptation. For when he has been tried, he shall receive the crown of life which the Lord has promised to them that love him. Faithfulness to God will ultimately be rewarded with a home in heaven. 
Tonight, if you're not a Christian, we urge you to come. If you are a Christian, for whatever reason, you need the prayers of the church. Maybe you've stumbled and fallen. Maybe your life is not what it ought to be. And you want us to pray with you and for you. We'd be happy to do that for you tonight as we stand and sing.